Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Glad to have you with us here today, worshiping the Lord together as everyone is still making their way in and getting settled. I want to go ahead and begin our time 
together. If you're a guest with us, my name is Brad. I am one of the pastors here at Southview, and it's so good to have you worshiping with us today. I want to begin by reading a scripture to us. James chapter 4, verse 6. Listen to what God's word says. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We, um, when we dive into the word here in just a little bit, we're going to be talking about humility. And so I just want to kind of set the stage for us on that. Look at that scripture. God resists the proud. The word resist is a military term. It means to meet someone on the field of combat. God actively fights against the proud. He is not neutral. He is not ambivalent. He doesn't shrug his shoulders. He doesn't sweep around the rug like it's no big deal. God actively, aggressively opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. So here's what I want us to do today as we begin our time together. I want to give you a chance just to sit before the Lord in prayer. I want to give you a chance today to humble your heart before God. Humble your heart before Him. Take today, right now, before we dive into the Word, and just say to God, God, anything you want to show me today in my heart, I take it. Anything you want to give me, I receive it. Anything you want to convict me of, I'll turn from it. Anything that you're telling me to repent of, I will repent of. Anything you're telling me to do, I'm going to do. I lay myself down before you. I humble myself before you. I ask you to speak to me, and I will say yes to anything and everything that you say. Why? Because God gives grace to those who have that heart. God pours out his goodness and his favor on those who have that kind of heart. But those who are stiff-necked and hard-hearted and assume they have nothing to repent of, nothing to turn from, or you've got that one thing in your heart that you're afraid to say, God, you can have it all because you're pretty sure he's going to point at that one. Trust God with it. Trust God with that. Say, God, I'm afraid to say you can have my whole heart because I know you're going to point this one out and I'm afraid for you to do that. I don't want to let that go. Admit that to him. Confess that to him. God sees anyway, right? I mean, we treat God like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, like he can't see you hiding behind a bush. He knows your heart. She just say, God, I know this is there. And I know if I say you can take everything, you're probably going to take that. And I'm afraid of that. I just confess that to you. I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. And and, and I want to give you just a moment just to set your heart before the Lord. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself before the Lord and let him pour out his grace and favor on you. just say you have our hearts 
we humble ourselves before you and say, Jesus, you're everything. We are nothing. We pour ourselves out and say, God, our whole life is yours. You take it. We turn from our pride. We humble ourselves before you. We ask you that you would pour out your grace on us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, stand with us, guys. We're going to sing. And I want you to sing with a humble heart. What does that mean? That means we sing professing that these things are true of God. And so we place God in his right place of authority and we submit ourselves underneath him in vocalizing our praises to him. So sing with a humble heart, worshiping God for who he truly is. Let's worship together.
was listening to a sermon recently, and the speaker talked about uh, encouraging one another and exhorting one another in the faith and how crucial that is as a body of believers when we come together, um, just to encourage one another, to remind each other of what uh, God has already done for us. And as a result of that, we, we remind each other and we encourage other, we build our faith. Um, and that's what this next song talks about. It talks about, um, it's called Another in the Fire. It's a new song. And um, it just reminds us of all the great things that God's done for us, not just the things that he's done, but more importantly, the fact that he's there with us while we're struggling. Um, and as we, uh, I pray that as we sing in this next few minutes that we would uh, do that for each other, that we would sing these words to ourselves, to God, and to each other, and that we would encourage one another and remind each other of the great things that God has done and that he's there with us.
Amen. You guys have a seat for me. And as you're doing that, I want to, before we jump into the Word, I want to spend some time in prayer together and asking you to pray, especially geared around what our focus is going to be. So again, as I said earlier, we're going to spend some time here this morning thinking about humility and the role humility plays in revival and God pouring out His Spirit on us. I want you to think about 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the right time He can exalt you. You know, I've heard people say things like, Well, I'm just praying for God to humble me. Please don't pray that. Please don't. I love you too much. Don't pray that. Um, the Bible is going to say, God's command to you is that you would actively humble yourself. And and look again what it says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so so that he may exalt you in due time. Or some translations at the proper time he may exalt you. That word due time or proper time, it's it's also where we get the word ripe. Like think of fruit, right? There's a, a ripe time to eat fruit, right? If you eat it before it's ripe or, or after the ripeness has, has passed, the taste is good. There's a, a set time where fruit is perfect to eat, right? It's ripe. And that's the way it's describing this. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and when the time is ripe, He will work in you. Now, here's the problem. When you humble yourself before God, listen to this. When you humble yourself out in this world under the mighty hand of God, at first, from a worldly standpoint, it will look like you lost. It will look like you're weak. It will look like you can't handle your own stuff. So you're having to just back away. That's where you have to trust God. Who are we trusting here, me or God? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you. He may do good things in you. He may lift you up when the time is right. And that lifting up may look different than what we would again expect it to see from an earthly perspective. But at the end of the day, who do we trust, us or God? So I want to ask you to bow your heads for me. And and I want to give you just a moment to set yourself, your heart before God. And just right now, just say, Lord God, I humble myself before you. Even if you have to say that by faith and not entirely sure what all that means. But you're saying, God, I trust you more than I trust me. I set myself underneath you. You are God, I am not. So you're in a place of authority and I am underneath you. I trust you. Maybe as you're praying, my wife does this. It doesn't really, my brain doesn't work this way. But my wife does this when she prays. She sees a lot of pictures. Like when she's praying. So maybe even you could picture yourself literally placing yourself under the mighty hand of God, trusting that when the time is right, He will exalt you. He will do what's right and good in you. Take just a moment, set your heart before the Lord in humility, preparing yourself to hear from His Word.
we just trust you. We trust you, God, for, for you to do your good work in us. We confess our pride. We confess our self-reliance. And we ask you, God, that you would empower us to humble ourselves before you and trust you to do the lifting up when the time is right. We don't want to do it too soon. We don't want to wait too late. We trust you in your perfect timing. So we humble ourselves and place ourselves under your authority to do what's right and good in your time. Do this in us today. Open up your word. Speak powerfully to us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, if you've got a Bible, uh, find two scriptures for me. We're going to be in the book of 2 Chronicles. In the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles will be in chapter 7 and will be in chapter 12. You can find both of those. But as we're starting right now, a new series. We're cranking up 2023 in a series called If My People. And ultimately, this is a series on revival. We want to begin 2023 talking about revival. What revival is, what it means, how do we receive it, how do we seek it, what does it look like. So first we've got to define revival, what this is. So many of us maybe grew up in churches where the word revival was thrown around for different things. Like some of you, maybe you heard someone stand up at a pulpit and announce, hey, be sure to be here October 9th through the 12th. We're going to have revival. Like, like it's, a, it's a date on a calendar. Like I, I didn't know we could schedule that kind of thing. That's amazing. It's awesome. Why do we wait till October 9th? We should, should have done that sooner. Or maybe you grew up in a church where revival meant something weird just happened, right? You're in the middle of service and Sister Mary just gets a spell and jumps up and starts running. You're like, oh, we had revival. Or maybe you were in a context where your church grew, right? You doubled in size in 18 months. You're like, man, we're having revival. Well, no, the church down the street split. You got half their people, right? That's not, it's not revival, So in order for us to talk about what revival is, we got to kind of define our terms. So here's kind of a working definition that I've just kind of been going off of personally. I'll throw it out to you just kind of for your chewing and consumption. The revival is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God to awaken the people of God to fresh spiritual life. So you have God's Spirit working through His Word, going to His people, convicting us of our spiritual laziness, our spiritual apathy, our spiritual lukewarmness, sins that we have allowed to just kind of stick around, socially acceptable sins that we've just kind of ignored and forgotten about, looking like the world because, hey, at least I'm not totally as bad as that guy. God's Spirit working through His Word to convict us of that and show us that and, 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 and be kind of the, the, the harpoon from heaven, just right to the heart where you go, oh, that's me, I'm doing that. And as that happens, the Word of God moves in us and, and, and cuts but heals. And God pours fresh spiritual life and anointing into us for His glory. This is what we're after. We're after the Spirit of God working through the Word of God to show us where we need to be made alive again by God, right? So that's what we're after. 
Um, the scripture that we're using, the verse, kind of the foundation for the series is 2 Chronicles 7.14. If you grew up in church, maybe you're familiar with this verse. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Uh, last week, we just focused on the first line there. If my people who are called by my name. And what we said was, revival is based off relationship. Right? Revival is not, Second Chronicles 7.14 is not a contract with God. Right? If I do this, God will do that. Right? And so we all hold up our end of the deal. No, revival is about relationship. We're going to see God bringing revival to his people throughout 2 Chronicles because he had already made a covenant with them generations before and he was going to stay true to his covenant. And God is going to bring revival in your heart, not because you do the right things, but because you have trusted by faith in Christ. He has made a covenant with you and he will stay true to his covenant. So he will revive you because you're his people, right? It's all about relationship. What we saw last week, Luke 15, the prodigal son that ran away from the father and he realized his sin, and he came home, and the father completely restored him to fellowship. Why did he do that? Because the father and son had a contractual agreement? No, but because it was his dad, and he loved him, and he wanted his son home and restored and made alive again. He wanted his son to experience revival. And the same is true for you. God desires for you to experience revival. God wants this for you. God wants to bring life and vitality and, and, and power to your walk with him. He wants you to be filled with the spirit of God. He wants this because you're his people. You've trusted by faith in his son. He's made a covenant with you. He wants you to turn to him so that he can fill you and restore you, revive you, and make you new. Revival is about God doing this. You know, it's not a contract. It's not something that we can work up. However, while revival is just an act of God, God does it. We can't manipulate it. We can't stir it up. We can't make it happen. God is the one who does it. At the same time, though, God does use certain tools to accomplish that, like a, 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 a construction worker, a carpenter, Right? A carpenter, when you're building a house, right, you don't use your fist to drive a nail and your teeth to saw a board. Right? You use tools. You use a hammer. You use a saw. But if you look at a, at a, a brand new house built, like, that's amazing. You wouldn't run over to the toolbox, pull the hammer out, and go, you did an amazing job. You're the best hammer I've ever seen. That house is awesome. Right? You don't praise the tool, it's just a tool. Who actually built the house was the carpenter. The carpenter should get the praise and glory and honor and recognition for what he did, but he used tools in order to accomplish it. Same thing with God. Listen to this. God and God alone is the one who brings revival into your hearts. You cannot manipulate this. You cannot make it happen. You cannot stir him up. You cannot make him enough promises. You can't mean it really, really, really this time. God and God alone brings revival to your heart. However, also in bringing revival to your heart, he uses certain tools to accomplish it. Just like a carpenter uses a hammer and a saw, God will use certain tools to bring about his revival in your heart. And we see those in 2 Chronicles 7.14. So look again at 2 Chronicles 7.14. And you can underline these in your Bible. 
so that you can see the tools God is going to use to bring revival. What does it say? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. God is the one doing this, but there are certain tools that he's going to use to accomplish it. Humility, prayer, seeking the face of God, turning and repenting of sin. God uses these tools in your life to bring about revival in you. Okay? So this is what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're going to unpack kind of some of these tools to see how God is going to use these to bring about the revival that only he can do. Not only that, but 2 Chronicles 7.14 serves as sort of a table of contents for the rest of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles is God's book on revival. The back half of 2 Chronicles especially is about revival. In fact, there are five revivals you'll see in the back half of 2 Chronicles. And God uses a different tool in each of these, right? So he's kind of, here's a tool, and here's a real-life example of it being used. And here's a tool, and here's a real-life example of it being used, right? And so he kind of goes through each of these, and that's what we're going to do the next few weeks is look at the tool and the real-life example in 2 Chronicles of how God used that tool to bring about revival. Um, I made a chart because in my heart I'm a geek. And so I made a chart, if you're interested, kind of breaking down the back half of 2 Chronicles. And you can see kind of how it fleshes out, right? What's 2 Chronicles 7, 14? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And you see kind of that breaking down in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 11 and 12, King Rehoboam is going to humble himself and have revival. 2 Chronicles 14 through 16, Asa is going to seek the face of God and have revival. 2 Chronicles 17 through 20, Jehoshaphat is going to pray and see revival. Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 29 through 32 is going to turn from his wicked ways and see revival. And then Josiah in 2 Chronicles 34 through 35 is again going to humble himself and see a revival take place among his people. In each of these, we're going to see God moving. But today, what we're going to focus on is our first tool, humility. And I want you to look at that chart. What's the only tool used twice? Humble yourself. Right? Literally, on his book on revival, 2 Chronicles, and he's laying out a practical application of here's how you get revival. Right? The Bible is, it reveals to us who God is, and it's extraordinarily practical as to how we live that out, out in him. Right? And when God is laying out, here's how my people are to seek revival, he literally begins and ends with humility. Humility is not just one of those things you should work on. Humility is the ground in which every other fruit of God's Spirit is going to grow. If there is no humility... There will be no spiritual life. Humility is everything. If you are not humble, you will not realize your need for revival. If you are not humble, you will not seek the face of God. If you are not humble, you will not pray. If you are not humble, you will not turn from your sins. Humility is the foundation for all of this. Humility. Are you humble? Have you humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God? So let's see humility kind of flesh out. Second Chronicles chapter 12. 
So 2 Chronicles chapter 12, we're going to be introduced to a man named Rehoboam, all right? So a little bit of backstory. You'll see this in chapters 10 and 11 if you want to go home and do a little extra reading if you're that kid. So Rehoboam is the son of Solomon and grandson of King David, all right? So David, the great king, you're familiar with the story, has an affair with Bathsheba, that baby dies. David and Bathsheba have another son, Solomon, and God chooses Solomon to be the one by which the um, covenant promise continues on. Solomon, wisest man to ever live, and at the same time, stupid. Right? I mean, he's so wise, and he thought having 1,000 women would be a good idea. I mean, he, he collected women like 10-year-olds used to collect baseball cards. And he thought it was smart, and it wasn't. It actually led to egregious sin in Solomon's life to the point where the end of Solomon's life ain't as great as the beginning. It trended down because he allowed this one sin, the sin of lust, to just grip his heart. So Solomon dies, and his son, Rehoboam, is given the throne. So then, the people of Israel gather at Jerusalem and meet with Rehoboam. And they say to Rehoboam, look, Rehoboam, here's the deal. We loved your dad, but that dude was hard. Like, he was hard. Like, he, he loved having all these kings and queens and princes and princesses from all over the world to come in to see what he built. He didn't build Jack. We did, all right? And it was hard. So, if you would treat us kindly, if you would not treat us the way that your father did, we will serve you and love you for the rest of your life. And Roboam says, okay, give me a little time to think about it. It's okay. So Roboam gathers his father's wise men around him, older men, been there, done that. He gathers them together and says, guys, so here's what the people have said to me. What do you think? And they all say, we think that's a good idea. Like, we loved your dad, and we served your dad, and we are committed to your dad, and your dad was really hard, really hard. So I think if you do what they say, they will love you and honor you and serve you for the rest of your life. He said, okay, all right, I hear that. So then he left that room, and he decided to go hang out with his boys from high school. Right? So he got his boys together. Right? Because if you want really important life advice, ask a 19-year-old. Right? Absolutely. Makes total sense. So Roboam was like, guys, here's what they said. What do you think? And his boys were like, here's what you say. You go back to them and you say, hey, my father disciplined you with whips. I'm going to discipline you with scorpions. He says, it, it loses a little bit in the Hebrew to English translation. But he says, um, my, my pinky is greater than my father's thigh. Like, okay, all right. I don't really know. All right, okay, whatever. But he tells the people, you've seen nothing yet. I'm going to be even harder and you're going to like it. Well, they didn't like it. And the northern ten tribes of Israel broke off and succeeded from the union. All right? They broke away. Civil war. Ten northern tribes break off. The two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin are the only ones 
that are left. But here's what I want you to see that's really interesting. Even though Rehoboam was a moron, right? Like literally, objectively dumb. Even though that's true, God's blessing was on him and the southern kingdom and not the northern kingdom. Why is that? Because God doesn't base his blessing on how smart you are or how good you are, but on his covenant. God made a covenant not with Rehoboam, but with his dad and his granddad. And so Rehoboam was living off the blessing of a covenant that he had nothing to do with, really. But God's hand was on him because he had made a covenant with his people through the line of David. Even so that Many people who love God and want to serve God in the northern kingdom move down to the southern kingdom, which is why to this day, all godly people move south. Right? It's, it's biblical, right? That's just straight out of the Bible. Your family is like, why are you doing that? It's in the Bible, man. And I'm sick of shoveling snow, right? Those two things. Those two things. So you've got Rehoboam, he, not the sharpest crayon in the box, causes a split in the kingdom, but God's hand is still on Rehoboam, and God blesses Rehoboam, God blesses his kingdom, God has favor on him that he does not deserve, he is not worthy of, but God's just pouring it out and pouring it out and pouring it out and pouring it out and pouring it out. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, Verse 1. When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Listen to that verse and let that kind of sink into your heart. When Rehoboam became established, and strong, he abandoned God. The word abandoned means literally to leave behind. So when he became strong and established, as Rehoboam felt more and more and more confident in himself, more and more and more self-reliant, he turned his back against God. What I want you to see is how sneaky and dangerous pride is. What messes us up with pride is we define pride in such a way where it make it really easy to spot it in them, but not so much in me. Yeah? We define pride as, you know, that guy that always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. But we define it in such a way where we can, can sneak away from it and it not hit us. But I love the way 2 Chronicles 12.1 really kind of sets the framework for pride. Pride is our total and complete self-reliance. I've got this. And even though we would never say it, even though we would never consciously even think it, even though we're not meaning to, we are abandoning God, leaving God, because we think we got it. Let's get really practical. Not being in the Word of God every day is pride. It's pride. 
Jesus said that these words are literally life to you. You can't live without them. Then how in the world can we go day after day after day after day after day after day after day and never be in his words seeking life from him? Because if we're honest, at our very heart, we think we have it. We're self-reliant. We're self-reliant. Prayerlessness is pride. It's pride. Only praying, sort of memorized rote prayers in the morning or at mealtime or at night or when you're sitting down for a test you didn't study for, you're like, God, if you could supernaturally put these answers in my head, right? Take control of the pencil, Lord. Not spending time in His Word. Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's not Brad, that's Jesus. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But we go day after day after day after day after day after day after day, not being in his word and not falling on our face in prayer before him. And we say things like, oh, no, 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 no. I know I need God. I absolutely need God. I just, I'm just really busy and I just fell out of the habit. no. You're prideful and you're self-reliant. And as a result, just like Rehoboam, you have abandoned God. You've left him. You've left him. And he keeps on going in verse 2, kind of unpacking this idea of pride even more. Look at verse 2. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord. Just stop there. That word unfaithful in the Hebrew is me'al. It means literally to cheat on your spouse. God equates self-reliance with spiritual adultery. So let's think about this for a second. What's adultery? Um, So marriage is you make a covenant with an individual. And you are saying that everything I need... Mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally, I'm only going to get from you and no one else. Nothing I get from anyone else. Physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, just you. Adultery is you breaking off of that and seeking to find some of those things in someone else. Right? That's that's adultery. And he defines pride and self-reliance as spiritual adultery. What does that mean? You're supposed to get everything from God. Everything from him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. My words are life for you. Apart from them, you die. You need me for everything. But instead of receiving it from him and just taking it from him, we we turn and try to find it in other places. It's spiritual adultery. We're cheating on God with our own strength and abilities. Our own self-reliance. It's pride. Pride is sneaky. It's so sneaky. It's going to make you think that that this isn't you. If we're honest, it is. And and look what happened as a result. The second half of verse 2 there. The fifth year of King Rehoboam, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord. Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. Jump down to verse 5. Then Shemaiah, the prophet, don't know who this guy is, or this is only 
acknowledgement in the scriptures, Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You abandoned me, so I have abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. You've left me, so now I'm going to leave you. You, and again, as God left them, no. We're going to see here in just a moment, they turn and he is there very, very quickly. It's not that he has truly left them, but the idea is this. He's looking at them and going, okay, you think you got this? I'm going to let you handle it. Right? Okay. You got it? You're so self-reliant. You're so established and strong. Wonderful. Let me know how that works out for you. Go ahead. Sometimes the most gracious thing God can do is let you experience a little bit of the consequences of your actions. Let you taste just a little bit of it. So that we realize, that's kind of a big deal. That's that's kind of important. I I, I need to not do that. So God says, all right, you, you think you've left me? You think you got this? Fine then. I'll step over here and let you handle this all by yourself. But look at how the people responded. Verse 6. Then the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. Let's just unpack that verse just for a moment. It says that they humbled themselves. The word humble there is kana, and it means literally to place yourself underneath. They humbled themselves. Humility is, is, is setting yourself in the right place in God's eyes. And it says, look what happened there. So they humbled themselves, and then it says, they said, the Lord is righteous. So what does that mean? They literally, they didn't say, this isn't fair, God. It's not right. And we're your people, and they're a bunch of pagans, and you're going to let them come in and kill us. What are you doing? Where are you? Why aren't you here? They don't do any of that. What do they say? They humbled themselves and said, God is right to do this. We've sinned. Humility is you being honest about your sin. Quit washing over it. Quit sweeping it on the rug. Quit acting like it's not a big deal. It is. They became self-reliant and strong. As a result, God brought in an entire pagan Egyptian army. And their response, when they humbled themselves and realized what they'd done, they said, yes, God's right. God's right to do this. We deserve it. We deserve it. They weren't begging him to stop. They weren't pleading. They weren't making promises. They sat down and said, this is the truth of who we are. This is truly what we've done. And this is the right punishment of God on us. Okay? I'll take it. This is humility. So when we think about humility, let me give you a little bit of a definition for this as well. Humility is emptying yourself to be nothing so that God can be everything. Emptying yourself to be nothing so that God can be everything. Listen to me. The reason that you feel like God is not filling you up with his spirit is because you're too filled up with you. You first have to empty yourself. So that God can fill you up. Think about like this bottle of water. 
in order for me to fill this bottle with any other kind of liquid, the first thing I must do is pour out everything that's in it, right? I've got to make the space so that it can then be filled up with something else. Same way, the reason God can't fill your heart is because your heart is too filled with you. You love you. You're addicted to you. You crave you. A few years ago, there's a reason why. So Oxford Dictionary does the word of the year. There's a reason four years ago their word of the year was selfie. Because we are obsessed with our selves. You love you. And I know people are trying to give you advice. Like, no, 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 you need to take care of you. You need to worry about you. You need some self-care. You need some self-help. You don't, you've been worried about other people for too long. You've been worried about him and them and them for too long. You need to take care of you. When people give you that advice, you tell them, get behind me, Satan. It is wicked. Your problem is not that you don't think about you enough. Your problem is you think about you all the time. And that's why God can't fill you up. You're too filled up with you. So humility is emptying yourself to be nothing so that God can fill you up and be your everything. So that you sit here today and you say, God, I don't know what the future holds for me for whatever it is that you're, if this relationship doesn't work out, if I don't get this job, if I don't get accepted to that school, if I don't get healed of this disease, if this thing doesn't get fixed, I trust you. I don't stand here today and claim that I have rights to anything. I empty myself to be nothing so that just you can be everything. This is humility. And the only way that you are going to truly be filled up and receive the power of God is if you humble yourself before him. Which is exactly what they did. If you pick it up in verse 7, look what happened as a result. Verse 7. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. They have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. And my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of of Shishak. These kings and princes literally changed the trajectory of their lives just by humbling themselves. How powerful is humility? These kings and these princes and these families and the nation is going to be wiped off the map. They are trending down very fast. A pagan army is at their borders and they're going to destroy them. And the only thing that they did different was humble themselves. They humbled themselves before God, were honest about their sin, and just said, God, into your hands we commit our spirits, whatever you want. And what happened? God literally changed the trajectory of their lives. Humility changes things. Humility changes relationships. Humility changes the, I don't know what other word to call it, changes the atmosphere of households. Humility changes things. It changes things. 
Anytime I've ever responded in defensiveness and pride, it's never gone well. But whenever I respond with humility, God's hand just seems to be on it. You know why? Because James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Think about that for a second. Again, we talked about this at the beginning of the service. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. Again, that word resist means, means active opposition. God is not neutral about your pride. He actively opposes it. Uh, think of it like there's a room. There's a room filled up with the blessings of God, the fruit of the Spirit of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the life of God, all that comes through life in Christ, uh, uh, all of the, the grace of God in this room. Your pride, your self-reliance, your thought that you can do this, and the fact that you do not verbalize that or think that, but let's be honest, when you come in here on a Sunday and sing a few songs and say a few prayers, but then leave this place and live the entire rest of your existence as if you are in control of your life. Total self-reliance. Total and complete self-reliance. God shuts the door and locks it because he opposes your pride. He actively and aggressively fights war against your pride. And then we sit around and go, why can't I feel God? Why can't I grow in the Lord? Why am I still struggling so much? I just think that that journey group and that church just isn't feeding me anymore. I seem to go somewhere else. I think it's just because of this marriage. This marriage is toxic. I need to get out of the marriage. It's because these people around me are just, just, just not loving me like I'm supposed to be loved. Nope. Wrong, 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 wrong. The problem is your pride, and your pride has shut and locked the door to all the grace of God. I don't feel the grace of God. Yep. We know why. We know why. James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility unlocks the door of the grace of God and opens it up so that the grace and mercy and fruit and empowerment and blessings of God can be poured into your life. God opposes the proud, but he unlocks the door and showers grace on the humble. And we see this happening here with Israel, look at verse 12. Look down at verse 12. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to make complete destruction. Moreover, conditions were good in Judah. When it says that, that last line, conditions were good in Judah, the word good there in Hebrew is tov, and it impl implies more than just sort of English good, like it's pleasant. That word tov in, in, in Hebrew means that things were rich, happy, prosperous, righteous, bountiful. You know what it's saying here? Jerus uh, revival came to Jerusalem. The revival of God was poured out on Jerusalem. Why? Because they had extra worship services? No. Because they humbled themselves before God. 
They humbled themselves before God. What about you? Again, 1 Peter 5, 6 is going to say, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. How do we do that? Let me give you a few things real quick. How do we humble ourselves? Number one is this. First, you have to examine your need for it. The prophet Jeremiah says that your heart is deceitfully wicked and your heart will lie to you. Your heart is going to tell you that you are more humble than you really are. So you need to ask the Spirit of God to search your heart and show you all the black stuff that you don't want to see. All the dirty things, all the sin, all the pride. You've got to ask the Spirit of God to show you. And again, pride is sneaky. Sneaky. Look again, it... If you can't forgive someone, it's pride. It's pride. No, 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 that's justice. You don't know what they did. No, 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 it's pride because you place yourself in the position of God to determine when and if they will get your forgiveness. When they've shown themselves to be repentant enough, you will bless them and give them your forgiveness. It's pride. It's also pride when you don't forgive yourself. When I did it was so bad, it was so horrible, it was so wrong, I hurt so many people, I don't... Yeah, it's probably true. But, but if you keep living in, in, in self-condemnation and, 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 and just belittling, belittling yourself and, and wallowing in pity, you're not trusting the grace of God that forgives you. Oh, this is pride. See how sneaky it is? dangerous man ask the spirit of god to show you where pride is um also ask your family to to ask to tell you if you're humble or not and if you ask them if you're humble and they say no and you get mad about that bingo you got to examine your heart and ask the spirit of god to do that second when you examine your heart and you see how much pride is really there Secondly, I want to encourage you to to realize that you're incapable of doing anything about it. You can't fix you. You focusing on you, you relying on you is what got you in this prideful mess, so you trying to fix you ain't going to work. Right? It's not the way this thing's going to happen, man. You can't do it. So how do you do it? you got to find true humility in Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 says that even though he was God and all the rights and privileges of being God, he humbled himself, Jesus, to the, to the point of death on the cross so that we can be made sons and daughters of God. You find true humility in Jesus. You set your heart on Jesus. I, I tell you this all the time. Every issue is a gospel issue, so you go to the gospel. Jesus humbled himself so that you can be made a son and daughter of God. And now the way that you live out that sonship, where you live out that adopted nature of being a child of God is by you humbling yourself the same way Jesus did. The only way you're going to do it is to humble yourself. And then fourth and finally, by God's grace, you've got to pursue humility. You will not miraculously become humble and you will not accidentally become humble. You have to pursue that stuff. You have to actively have in your mind, I am going to go low. I am going to be humble. I am going by God's grace. Holy Spirit, empower me. Jesus Christ, I need your life in me. I'm going to be humble like you were humble. 
I'm going to respond that way. And again, on the surface, when you respond in humility, it will look like you were weak and you lost. And humility is not freaking out about that. Being okay with it because you trust God to lift you up when the time is right. Do you trust the Lord? I'm going to ask our band to come. And, and, and while they do that, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. And again, like I mentioned earlier in prayer about kind of seeing pictures, I want to encourage you to do that one more time. I want you to picture something in your mind. Picture uh, terrain, right, with deep valleys and high mountain peaks, all right? Deep valleys and high mountain peaks. Now imagine in your mind it starts to rain. I mean, just torrential downpour. Rain, 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 rain. As it rains, let me ask you a question. What's going to get completely covered first, the valleys or the mountaintops? The valleys, right? I mean, it's got to rain 40 days and 40 nights for the mountains to get covered. But it can just rain a little bit, and that valley gets filled up. The Holy Spirit is like water. Water's always going to find the lowest place to settle. The rain that hits the mountaintops is going to trickle down into the valley. Rain always finds the lowest place to fill. Listen to me. The Spirit of God always finds the lowest place to fill. The only way you will be filled with the Spirit of God is if you walk in genuine humility. Just like water fills the low parts first, the Spirit of God fills the humble first. And just like it takes rain upon rain upon rain upon rain upon rain to cover the higher elevations, it will take miraculous outpourings of the Spirit of God to fill up your prideful heart. But if you humble yourself, like 1 Peter 5 says, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, you can trust that he will fill you and the proper time raise you up. So as we end our time, I want to give you just a minute just to pray. It, and I want you to take just a minute and I want you to ask God to convict you of the depth of your self-reliance. Ask God to show you that and convict you of that. Ask God to show you how much you really do depend on you and not Him. And that's going to be tough. And that's going to hurt. But listen, it's like surgery, alright? Surgery cuts and surgery hurts but it's for the purpose of healing you and saving your life. And so when you set your heart before the Lord and say, God, show me how much I really depend on me and not you. Show me the depth. Show me how bad it really is. That might sting a little, but it's for the purpose of saving your life. Ask God to show you the depth of your self-reliance. Also, ask God to reveal to you 
the depth of Christ's humility. Like I said, everything is a gospel issue. It's about Jesus and his sacrifice. It's about Jesus and what he did for us. Jesus received the stripes so that you can be healed. Jesus became poor so that you can become rich. Jesus became sin so that you can become righteous. Jesus became the curse so that you can receive the blessing. Jesus was rejected so that you can be accepted. See the humility of Jesus Christ laying down so that you can be made a child of God. As you focus in and see the depth of the humility of Jesus Christ, he will empower you to walk in that same life. And third, ask God to impart to you the power to live out Christ's humble life. That you would live out this amazing humility for his glory. As we end our time together, we're not going to ask you to stand and sing. Instead, I want to encourage you just to spend some time here before the Lord. Some, you need to fall on your face before God, confess your pride and self-reliance, and seek God in humility. You know, some would ask, you know, kind of what's the point of coming up to an altar? Can't you just pray where you are? Well, of course, absolutely. And God's not special up here or anything like that. And we really don't do a ton of altar calls per se. You maybe noticed that if you've been around here for long. But there is something about coming up here because here's what it does. It, it can be a first step in humility. It can be a first step in you saying, I don't care what people think about me, God. I only care about what you think. I've stopped caring what everybody around me thinks. I just want you. So I I don't know how you need to respond. I I don't know what you need to do. I'm not asking you to do anything. But I am asking you to set your heart before the Lord. Ask him to reveal to you the depths of your self reliance. Confess it as sin. Set your hearts on the unbelievable humility and grace of Jesus Christ and ask God to empower you to live that out for his glory. So Lord, as we just sit and ponder, I pray that you will reveal your truth to us and let us be men and women changed by the humility of Jesus Christ. As we set our focus on your name, Jesus. Amen.
reminded of our absolute and total dependence on you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So we humble ourselves and trust you. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us, your people. We pray this in your name. Amen. So glad that you're here today, guys. If you are a guest with us, welcome. We'd love to connect with you. Best way you can do that is just to text the word connect to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298, just so we can know who you are and 
connect with you and see how we can minister to you. But for everyone, we've got three big announcements, all right? Three big things going on. Number one is this, baptism. Baptism coming up February 12th. Um, if you want to be a part of that, you've accepted faith, uh, by, uh, Christ by faith, and you're ready to step forward in baptism, you can sign up for this baptism by texting the word BAPTISM to our number, 910-424-1298, to sign up for that. Uh, second is this, ladies' retreat. This is going to be March 9th through the 12th. Uh, cost is $150. Deposit $30 due by February 9th. You can text BEACH. Ladies, to sign up for that. And then lastly, guys, men's breakfast. It says February 2nd, but I was told after uh, service, it's actually February 2nd, it's a Thursday, so don't show up. It's February 4th, so my apologies to you. Saturday, February 4th, having our men's breakfast, 8 o'clock. Guys, if you want to come be a part of that, you can text the word breakfast to sign up for that so we know how many to prepare for. And then for everything else, all our other announcements, you can download our app iTunes or Google Play. You can also give online through the app or in the giving boxes as you leave, whatever works best for you. All right. Hey, let me pray for you and let you go. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your life. We thank you, Jesus, that you humbled yourself for us and that you now empower us by your life to walk in humility so that we can be filled up with the Spirit of God. So I pray, Lord, that that will happen in us. We will humble ourselves by faith in you and trust you, Spirit, to fill us up and Revive us, God. We need revival. We need revival. Let us see that our self-reliance is what's stopping us from being revived. I pray we would see that, repent of that, and fall on our face before you in humility. Thank you, Jesus. We need you. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Have a great week.